Hello and welcome to the Global Game here on SEN. I'm your host, James Dodd, standing in for the voice of football himself, Mr Simon Hill, for the next few nights anyway, as he takes a well-earned break post-Qatar. Alongside me, I always have to have a co-host for this and pleased to say tonight is the former Socceroo and Perth Glory head coach, Richard Garcia. Rich, as is the nature of all of these World Cups, there's always plenty for us to talk about. Looking forward to, uh, to getting stuck into things. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really enjoying this World Cup. It's been great so far. Well, as we're all aware, the World Cup may be over for the Socceroos, but uh, FIFA's Festival of Football continues at pace over in Qatar. We've got plenty coming up on the programme this evening. We'll be reviewing both victories for England and France this morning. They will now meet in the quarterfinals. Plus, we'll be looking ahead to the remaining round of 16 ties here on the global game. But now it's time for today's hot topic for Guzmani Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. Now, Richard Garcia... We all know Lionel Messi, even at the age of 35, still is capable of running matches. We saw that against the Socceroos, especially the longer the game went on. He was given more time. He finds pockets of space. We know just, you know, what an illustrious career he has had. But Kylian Mbappe, two goals again this morning. Just where does he sit at the moment for you? Because, you know, there's always talks about Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi now that those two players are coming towards the back end of their contract, uh, their careers, I should say, is there any doubt for you that Kylian Mbappe is is the best player in the world at present? Uh, look, it's, that's a tough one. Look, he, he's definitely impressed in this World Cup and he impresses through the season. Um, it's just he needs to probably be at a place where he's going to win the things that Messi has won. You know, I think when you, when you go about uh, the best players in the world, you sort of need to win things. Um, it's all good being the best player in the world, but are you winning the Champions League? Are you winning the league? Are you, you know, and the big one is the Champions League. You know, Mbappe's actually got the World Cup, so he's a step ahead. You know, he's he's scored more goals than most of the guys in the World Cup as well, and he's what is he, 24? So he's definitely on the track to be the best player in the world by ease. But I think you know, Messi and that have still got the Messi and Ronaldo have still got that that title for for now anyway. I think it's interesting with Kylian Mbappe because you look at you know the the Paris Saint Germain connection that he's had with Lionel Messi you know in the back end of his career now and and Neymar's there as well, but I think there's always that lingering lingering doubt about and this is no disrespect to Paris Saint Germain you know they're they're a club that clearly wants to go places but they won't be for some time you know we're talking probably a hundred years at least in that echelon that Real Madrid and Barcelona are in and maybe Manchester United and Liverpool are in as well. Do you think he will? he will realistically get to the levels that everybody thinks he'll get to if he only moves to a club in, in, in that stratosphere? Look, I think that's a difficult one. The club, I, I think he's being pretty loyal and, and, and obviously they're paying him well to stay where, he's, where he is. Um, and I think he wants to do it with PSG. The hard bit is, is how long do you wait for that? You know, how, at what stage in his career does he, does he wait until... Uh, his hunger for success and his hunger for trophies outweighs his loyalty to the club. And, and I think that's probably going to be the big decision he has to make maybe in a couple of years because he's still, remember, he's still 24. Mm, yeah. um, you know, if he goes injury-free and he has the career that, you know, uh, Cristiano and, and, and Lionel Messi have had, then, you know, he's got, a, he's got a long time to be able to explore those options and still have the loyalty to PSG for the time being. Well, it is the hot topic on the show this evening. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. But of course, that is all thanks to Guzmani Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. So we are over 24 hours on now, Rich, from, from the 
I would say heartbreaking, but I don't think it was heartbreaking. It was a valiant display from from the Socceroos against one of the tournament favourites in, in Argentina. And, you know, as we mentioned, Lionel Messi, one of the best players of all time. Um, so 24 hours on, how does that sit with you, Rich? And what do you think the main the main positives are to take away from the round of 16 exit? Uh, look, I think it's been a, a very, very positive World Cup. Um, you know, we've had, a, there's been a lot said about the Socceroos and, and the way um, they've, They've potentially not had the strongest squad. Um, you know, there were there were points in which Graham Arnold was going to get the sack before the World Cup, and people were talking about that. And what this actually shows is that, given a little bit of time, Graham Arnold has built something. You know, I think we're we're very quick to judge in football, and it takes time to actually build what um, probably Australia needs more of, which is culture and. Um, and the ability to have a group of players that are all pushing for the same same reason, you know, we're we're never going to be as talented at this point in time when football isn't the, the number one sport in Australia. We're never going to be as talented as the likes of Argentina. We're not going to be as talented as the likes of Brazil, who have got that in their culture for years and years and years. What we can be is exactly what the guys showed the other night, which was resilient, which was well set up, which was willing to run the extra mile for your teammates and that culture and the ability to have um, the senior players bring in those young players because there's a lot of young players in that squad and for them to be welcomed by those younger play- uh, those older players is part of the culture, you know, and, and you can just really see that culture in the team at the moment. You know, there's a real, real, real bond and they're willing to go that extra mile for each other. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic point you make because I think if you look at the perfect blend between you know, play, young players like, I know he didn't get minutes at the World Cup, but Cameron Devlin, someone who's impressed having that style of play that he has. Keanu Backus is another one. But then you blend that with the likes of Riley McGree and Aidan Rustic. Those types of players, you know, Garang Kual has got a, a lovely mix of kind of everything and we hope that his career path follows the way that we want it to. But going back to Graham Arnold, um, technically, as we speak, the Socceroos don't have a head coach because his deal has come to an end after the World Cup cycle. Um he has said that he's in no rush. You know, I'm sure that talks are going on with Football Australia behind the scenes. He wants to go away and, and quite frankly, have a well-earned holiday. Um, if the contract extension is activated with, with Arnie, A, do you think that's the right choice and the sensible choice? But also, where do you think his his legacy sorts of sits within the Socceroos now? Because, you know, let's, let's not forget, it, it was most people said that Australia would be lucky to get a point if not one victory in the group stage, he got them two. He got them to the round of 16. It's the most successful World Cup we've been in. So really, we've, we've, won, we've won two games at a World Cup in the group stage. So really, it's the most successful World Cup that we've been in. And look, I think if Graham Arnold decides to take the next part of that contract up and, and, and Football Australia decide to do that as well, what they do get is consistency. You know, what happens now if we change coach? We change coach. Does that new coach now bring in a new philosophy, a new um, way of working? And I think, and I think, um, Football Australia has worked really, really hard to try and find the best possible. Um, let's not say culture. The the processes. I think they're they're still trying to figure out the processes that coaches can come in and out because I think it's important not only at international level but club level that the processes stay the same and the coach comes in and doesn't change too much. You know, because everything else needs to be consistent. And that, that then doesn't have an effect on the players and the playing group and the people coming through. 
you know, if we change now and we have a change of philosophy and we have a change of um, complete change of how we set up the youth, you know, we've got things all pointing in the right direction. We've got to continue down that path and grow it rather than continuing to chop and change. So that that's going to have to be a big one from Soccer Australia to be able to, Football Australia to be able to be consistent with what they want to do and whoever they bring in next still have the same processes to be able to then develop and bring through and still the same sort of culture that we've got at the moment because it's looking like it's working. Yeah, absolutely it's working. As you say, the most successful World Cup campaign ever. So, you know, and you touch on Graham Arnold there. If anybody, he's arguably the perfect person to, to breach that gap between. He's someone that's managed in the A-League men. He knows the process of what the youth development is currently like. He knows how it theoretically could be improved. He knows the transitions between those young players to then representing the Oli Roos to then taking that to the next step in the Socceroos. So it remains to be seen, but hopefully, you know, for, for Graham Arnold, I think there would probably be a lot of people out there that would be eating a few of their words in, in the way that he was treated and, you know, in the build-up to that World Cup. But on the pitch, Rich, I, I suppose, you know, they always say that the World Cup is 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 the biggest shop window, um, especially when it comes to, you know, a couple of players that might have a few good games and then all of a sudden we've got a January transfer window right around the back of, behind this World Cup. Is there anyone that you think impressed you more so than anyone else in this Socceroos squad? Uh, yeah, look, obviously the blatantly obvious one is, is Harry Suda, who's who's come off a big injury and, and performed so well in, in such a in such a big World Cup. And um, even just to go back to back to back to back was fantastic mm-hmm. from him, you know. To be able to put up those numbers and, and that amount of um, game time is really, really impressive. And, um, you know, that... That again just proves how much he's willing to to put on the line, and it is the World Cup, of course. Um, but yeah, look, obviously he's going to be one that people are looking at, and you know, before he got injured, people were already looking at him. So, you know, he's he's very much someone who can take that next step. But I I don't think you know that the World Cup did poorly for a lot of the other guys. You know, people like Riley McGree, who is still young and um, still trying to find um, some experience. I think the World Cup's only enhanced his his uh, opportunities to be able to maybe take the step up. You know, he's, he's doing well for Middlesbrough. Um, he'll, con- he'll continue to do well there. Uh, look, even Keanu, uh, Keanu Back is coming in, uh, doing well. You know, a lot of those younger guys are, are really going to have a platform now. You know, playing at a World Cup really does enhance your value um, to clubs. So I think most of the guys that are, uh, have, have played minutes and even being a part of it, we'll, we'll, we'll get something off the back of the World Cup. Well, you know, as much as we've got a, a fantastic FIFA Women's World Cup to look forward to in Australia next year, slightly before that for the men is the Asian Cup. Um, if you look at, I suppose, some of the key figures in this Socceroos setup now, I mean, just looking down at some of the ages, Aziz Bayich is 31, Aaron Moy 32, Matt Ryan, you know, for a goalkeeper, 30 is no age. Uh, could you anticipate big changes ahead of the Asian Cup campaign that gets underway next year? Would you, do you think there needs to be a little bit of a refresh in this in this squad? They probably need to. You know, you're probably looking at the likes of Moy and, and Behic. You know, they're, they're sort of at the back end. But now you're asking people like Jackson Irvine to step up and be the leaders, you know. Um, it, it's that sort of age group, that 29-30, where, you know, you really need to start lean, lending on, leaning on those guys to sort of guide the younger guys. Because it's, it's very easy now for the guys to go away and... Uh, get a false sense of of how good they are because they've had a good World Cup, and that's easy. You know, that it's been really successful and it's been great. Um, and what you what you are doing is by maybe keeping hold of maybe um, a couple of those older guys going into the Asia Cup is you're really looking for leadership. 
Um, you know, we've done it in the past, Bresciano, Cahill, you know, or staying on a little bit longer to be able to then guide the next generation through. Yeah. You, you, you sort of need to keep a hold of those guys to then teach the other guys how to be leaders, one, and two, um, for those guys to mature as well. Because it takes time for guys to mature. It doesn't just happen overnight. It just You don't just become a leader overnight. It takes time um, and understanding of, of what it takes to be a leader. So, you know, that, that again is a process and the understanding of that from fans and from from uh, the public to be able to understand that when you are going through a transition stage, that it takes time to actually build that team back up. And that's what that's what the Socceroos are going to have to do through this Asia Cup and going forward. And just finally on this theme, um, Rich, we saw, you know, the fantastic scenes around the country at the the fan sites. I was at the one in Darling Harbour in Sydney on, on early hours of Sunday morning. It was an incredible scene. And, and what it did show for me was just how passionate football fans are in this country, but also how many young football fans there are coming through. The A-League men gets underway this weekend. For you, how important is it that those people get out and support the local game? Very, very important. You know, look, you look at the two of the guys that did fantastic during the World Cup, Matthew Leckie, who I thought was outstanding and, and you know, hasn't dropped his game in the A-League either. He's someone who's continued to, to push his standards. Um, and, and Craig Goodwin as well, you know, that, that also had has done very, very well um, in the A-League and, and did very, very well at the World Cup. So... You know, we're a very, very multicultural uh, country. Uh, we've got people from all around the world and it is the world game. So, you know, it's important those guys come out and, and take a look at the A-League. Well said, Richard Garcia. Don't forget, download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, where you can watch the new docuseries A-Leagues All Access. Meanwhile, today, you can see Patrick Kisnorbo. He's edging ever closer to his debut as Trois head coach in Ligue 1 over in France. Tom Smithies reviews the Socceroos World Cup campaign with a, a fantastic analytical piece. And Sasha Pisani has a full review of round three of the Liberty A-League women's as well. That's all available on the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. You are listening, of course, to The Global Game, thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. That's Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. And into the feet of Giroud. Left foot, a shot across the face of goal. Pass Chesney and into the nets. And for Olivier Giroud, it is a record-breaking goal. Here goes Dembélé, out towards Mbappe in some space, 18 yards out, Mbappe! Kylian Mbappe at this World Cup just cannot stop scoring goals. Duran towards Mbappe! Oh, Kylian Mbappe has just gone and done it again! Unstoppable! Escaped the traffic and unleashed it into the top right corner past the goalkeeper. Bellingham is inside the 18-yard box, squares inside, oh, and the finish is right there like that. from Jordan Henderson. He's found Foden oh. to his left, cuts it back oh, across, Harry. here's Harry Kane, Harry. takes a touch, Kane! Harry. Harry Kane, right before half-time, England's counter-attack, England's captain, England 2-0 up. Welcome back to The Global Game. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. James Dodd and Richard Garcia, your host for tonight's show. Uh, Rich, we just heard a little bit of England putting on a, a pretty professional performance there against Senegal this morning. Let's start there, shall we? We're reviewing the, uh, the round of 16 clashes. Jude Bellingham. Um, you would have played against and with some some talented young players in your time, in particular when you know in, in the Premier League. Jude Bellingham's a special player, isn't he? Yeah, very much so, and he's still 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 so young. Um, 
I think you know he's he's performed very very well at this World Cup and um, the the team are thriving off that. You know I think the whole team are, are looking pretty good and pretty sharp. And last night was another good example of that. I think when you you know you factor in the players that are alongside him in that England team, I mean, Phil Foden, there was uproar, you know, amongst the UK press and the fans when he wasn't playing. He comes in, he plays very well, he becomes undroppable. The same as actually, I suppose, with Marcus Rashford. Gareth Southgate made the call to reinstate Bakayo Saka. That paid off for him. Saka scoring the third goal in that 3-0 win over Senegal. But it's Harry Kane that I want to talk to you about because, you know, he's he's been more famous for his assists in this World Cup than he has his goal-scoring antics that we all know Harry Kane is, is so lethal in front of goal. But... You know, as someone who played in that sort of the front third of the pitch, Richard, when when you see a player like Harry Kane becoming such a useful asset about dropping deeper and bringing and allowing other people to to come into things, how how crucial is that to have a striker that can do both of those things? Very, very important. You know, I think that's that's a massive asset to the English team. Uh, he draws a lot of attention. Deeper, like you said, he comes deeper and receives the ball. And, and if they don't want to come with him, he turns and then he's got the ability to find a pass as well. So it's not like he just comes and holds up the ball and he just uses his size. He's got he's got a bit of everything. He's got the finishing. He's got the assists. Um, you know, he's such a big asset for the, for England. And I think the other players benefit from ham- having him there. Um, you know, especially the way they play. You know, he he really does come off. He never sort of stays high um, and just stays up front. He really comes into deep areas to allow um, the wingers to come in off their shape and, and make forward runs. And and the fact that they've always got two quick wingers off off the back of him helps him as well. You know, it, it gives him a little bit of time and space to be able to either turn and, and face forward, or he sets it back and they they get someone in behind. So he he does a lot of the the old flick around the corner, which which always works yeah. into a into a uh, an on-runner um, and the pace that they've got in those areas is fantastic and you know I think even even as far as uh, Gareth Southgate's uh, team selection it's been really really good you know people are saying oh he left Phil Foden now but you know is it is it carefully placed um, management you know is he is he keeping people fresh so that they can perform in big games because it's not an easy task to play back-to-back-to-back games you know and even though these guys are top top professional what's 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 better to have someone who's 100% firing or some guy who's, you know, at 75% because he's played three games on the bounce. So I think his selections have been very, very smart. I think it's actually, it's a fantastic point you make because if you look at the way England have set up, there was so much talk going into the tournament. They were desperate, the fans, for for Gareth Southgate to almost let the players off the leash a little bit. You know, they're so top heavy with the attacking talent they have and maybe he was a bit cautious about... You know, players like Harry Maguire, who has been out of favour at club level. Luke Shaw has worked his way back into the team. John Stones was injured. Carl Walker was slightly injured. But then you had Kieran Trippier in, in in such good form. How difficult is that as a coach, Rich? When, when you've got some, uh, you know, some people described it as having a Ferrari up front and, and a Fiat at the back. And you have to protect the rear end because you don't want to be left so exposed. How difficult is it when you weigh up that, that decision as a coach? Uh, look, I think... I think he's done very, very well in bringing confidence to those guys at the back. You know, I, I feel that uh, the faith that he's shown in them, he's they're repaying that to him. You know, I think they, they've been playing well as well. You know, they haven't they haven't really done poorly this this World Cup. And um, again, it's 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 the instance of they're the guys that he's been with for for a long while. 
And again, it's about that little bit of loyalty. You know, there was a lot of questions before they came to the World Cup about his selection and, and who did it make the World Cup. And obviously there's some younger talent that could have probably made the trip. But when you've got a bunch of players that it's not loyalty, it's more like you know what they're capable of and you know how good they can be and that they're capable of repaying you that loyalty, if that makes sense. So I, th I think he's done well with that. And, and they know they're always going to be capable of scoring goals. It's just about getting that part of, of the park right. And, that, and I think they've done that so far. That's absolutely right. And, you know, it's another clean sheet as well for England. We talk about the defensive aspect, clean sheet for them. They booked their spot in the quarterfinals where they will now meet France. 3-1 winners over Poland. Olivier Giroud, I feel sorry for him really, Rich. He broke the national goal scoring record. He's moved one clear of Thierry Henry, but it's Kylian Mbappe. That man we touched on at the top of the show. Two goals for him and, and two fantastic strikes as well. Uh, England won't be fearful of many teams at this tournament, but with Kylian Mbappe, I feel he is one player and one team in particular in France that they will be very fearful of. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough night for them. Um, and look, that's what a, what a great game that is, England versus France. Um, Neighbours, you know, it's it's something that is going to be really really feisty. And you know what, they're both in good good form. I, I, every time I watch France, they always look like they're capable of scoring at the drop of a hat. Um, and Sometimes England look like that as well. So, you know, for me, it's going to be a, a real a real good battle uh, in this quarterfinal. With Kylian Mbappe, um, I know it's a, an Mbappe loving, but do you see parallels with the way in which he picks up positions, not just as a wide player who's, who's based on pace because he's got so much more to his game than that, but of, the obvious comparison is with Thierry Henry when he was younger. You know, he started out as a wide player, but you knew he could finish. He just needed that confidence to do it. The trajectory that Kylian Mbappe on now, the, the way he looks like he's bulked up as well. He's a big, big boy, Kylian Mbappe. He's not a slight winger that many people like Usman Dembele is. Mm -hmm. Do you think his natural position is going to be through the middle as an out-and-out out number nine the, the more his career progresses? I, I sort of see him very similar to Ronaldo Nazario. You know, like he's, he's, he glides past players with that power mm. that Ronaldo did. Um, you know, I... That's a hard comparison to make, but I, I think he's more of that sort of look of player, just his size, the way he powers past people. He takes people on with ease. He's got strength, upper body strength, that he just brushes people aside. Um, and he's still only 24. You know, I think there's, there's so much growth left in him that he's got great capability to play all along that front third. Um, I think at the moment, it's probably at a younger age, it's probably easier playing out wide because you get a little bit more time and space and you can go one-on-one -on -one because like we were talking about Harry Harry Kane, when you're through that middle, you have to sometimes do things that probably aren't always for yourself. They're sometimes for the team. So whether he changes there, but he's definitely capable of playing there. It's going to be a fantastic matchup, that is for sure. England v France, Sunday morning, 6am Eastern. You can catch that live on SEN, of course. You are listening to The Global Game, thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. That's Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Welcome back to The Global Game, thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. That's Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Yes, James Dodd and Richard Garcia here with you on SEN, and it's time now to welcome a Global Game regular and, of course, host of the Asian Game podcast. You all know him. It's Paul Williams. Paul, over in Qatar, thanks very much for joining us. How's the, how's the Middle East treating you? Uh, it's treating me very, 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 very well so far. It has to be said. So 
Uh, bright and early on another morning. Big day ahead for the uh, the Asian teams of Japan and South Korea in action. Absolutely. And before we get stuck into to matters on the pitch, Paul, you've been over in Qatar for, for some time now. What's what's your experience of, of the whole tournament been like? Yeah, it's my first World Cup that uh, that I'm experiencing, so I don't have anything to to really compare it to. Um, but it's been fantastic so far. Cannot complain with anything. The the hospitality has been exceptional. The atmosphere on the ground, despite some of the reports you hear, um, has been tremendous. The atmosphere inside, particularly some of the stadiums, I was lucky to be at Argentina versus Saudi Arabia early on, and that was just phenomenal. That was. Um, one of the, the great atmospheres of, of world football, but being at you know Argentina Socceroos the other night as well, um, the Argentinian fans everywhere they go make a, a fantastic atmosphere. And everywhere you travel around Doha, there's particularly early on in the competition. Now that some teams have been eliminated, a lot of fans have gone home, but there are a lot of Moroccan fans, a lot of Tunisian fans, uh, a lot of fans from North Africa, a lot of Algerians are here, even though their team didn't qualify. Um, a lot of Saudi Arabian fans, and they provided a fantastic atmosphere everywhere you went around Doha. It was friendly, it was safe, it was happy. Um, it was a fantastic vibe around the city. I've been to, I've been fortunate enough to be at World Cups before, Paul, and and it has to be said, you know, watching this one here on on the TVs back in in Sydney, the the Albi Celeste, the the Argentinian fans, they look as though they've been the winners so far in terms of noise generated at stadiums. Would you say that's fair? I'd say that's fair. Absolutely. They were phenomenal in every game that I've seen them at. But also, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, um, I was at Saudi Arabia, Mexico the other day as well, and that there was so many Mexican fans that I've seen around the place, and they created a noise that was just as loud as anything the Argentinians created. And you know, both Saudi Arabia and Mexico got knocked out on that night. The result didn't help either of them, but you're walking around the LaSalle Boulevard afterwards and you get Mexicans mingling, mingling with Saudi Arabians. You had Saudi Arabians wearing the sombrero and everyone was just happy. It was a really buoyant mood, even though both of their two teams had just been eliminated from the World Cup. And I thought that's really what the World Cup is about. As, as much as it's about the football, it is about bringing the world together as um, you know, FIFA guffers that sounds. Um, that is really what it's about. It's about you know experiencing different cultures, different people and um, to see all those fans mingling together and sort of mixing those cultures was um, was fantastic to see. Let's uh, let's switch our attention onto on pitch matters then, shall we? Japan and South Korea are up next. Uh, let's start with Japan, and it was a you know as far as World Cups go, it was a <laughs> it was a pretty crazy group stage campaign for the Samurai Blue. Yeah. How how do you assess Moriyasu's team coming into this game against Croatia? It's, they've had, had such a roller coaster of emotions in this World Cup so far, from the high of beating Germany to the low of losing to Costa Rica and then back up to, to beating Spain. It's really hard to get a read on uh, on Japan because we know at their very best, they're a fantastic football side. So against the likes of Germany and Spain, they've sort of played a little bit more on the back foot, played a little bit on the counter. You know, they're only having, you know, 30% possession in a game. So they're not sort of showing their best football, but they're getting the results, which I guess at this you know, stage of a competition is really what it's all about, is making sure you, you get the results. So the fact that they've been able to, to get those results, and Moriasu's changed the game at halftime in each of those, and they've come out with a, a completely different look in, in the second half. You've brought on players like Mitoma and Doan that have changed the game in each of those uh, two matches. 
um, which opens the question as to why he doesn't start those plays, but the tactic is working for him, so he'll probably stick with that tonight going into the, the Croatia game as well. But yeah, he's, he's made those little changes um, and they've come out and looked a completely different side. They've been attacking, they've uh, been slightly more aggressive when they needed to, um, and that, that opening 10 minutes of the second half against Spain um, was, was scintillating the way they were able to sort of flick the switch and, and turn it on, um, and Spain had no answer for them. And Paul, you, you spoke about the, the tactical element of that, and you know I've watched the games that Japan have played in, and I think it, it has been a very good tactical ploy uh, from Moriyasu. And do you think that they're going to continue that um, against Croatia, seeing as, look, Croatia keep a lot of possession, but I think they're probably uh, not the same as a Germany or a Spain? Yeah, I certainly think they'll try to. I, I can't see Japan, you know, sort of changing now and wanting to come out and play on the front foot, um, having done it so effectively against Germany and Spain. So I certainly think they'll cede a lot of the possession to Croatia. And, you know, Croatia you play a very different style of football to um, uh, to what, you know, Germany do or to what Spain do. So the, the challenge is going to be different. Um, they might go a little bit more direct at times, which is a different challenge for the Japanese defence to to try and handle as well. So it'd be a really interesting matchup. And of the three Asian teams that got through, I, I give Japan the biggest chance of, of getting out because obviously Korea's got Brazil, which we'll get on to, and Australia had Argentina as well. So really two difficult matchups. But Japan against Croatia, I can see Japan competing in that game and potentially making it even further. Just finally on, on, on Japan, Paul, I've, you know, I've seen throughout this tournament, their goals seem to have come in short bursts. And when they've played against teams, it's almost as yep. if... They've really gained momentum quite quickly. Do you think that's the sort of thing that could be quite key for them going forward? Oh, absolutely, it can be. Yeah, I mean, and that's it, once they it's like once they get one, they cap, as you said, capitalise on that momentum and go on and, and push for that that second goal. And um, it's not typically the way that they play, but it's working for them in in this World Cup. And perhaps you know that's something that Moriasu identified. Before the World Cup, um, we almost saw again with Australia against Argentina last night. Like once you get that goal and you get that belief, you ride that wave of momentum and anything's possible. And yeah, once Australia even got that goal um, the other night, then you know we saw Aziz Bayic almost a couple of minutes later with one of the great World Cup goals. And um, the way that momentum can turn in a game so quickly is is crucial. And Japan have been using that to full effect. So that's Japan against Croatia. Let's talk about South Korea, shall we? Because uh, all the pressure and attention, I suppose, was going into the tournament was on the fitness of Son Heung-min. Um, but it's someone else, Cho Gu-sung, who's, who's really stolen the show so far. Do you think that's actually helped the South Koreans and it's uh, you know eased that burden on, on Son's shoulders? Uh, I actually think the, the introduction of Hwang Chan in the last game is, is probably more so eased the burden on on Son's shoulders. I mean, Cho did fantastically well in the game. I'm trying to remember which one it was Garner that he scored the, the two goals. Um, and he's been he's been somewhat of a, a revelation. He was one of the leading goal scorers in, in the K-League this season, but wasn't a regular starter. Huang Yi-Jo actually started the, the first game um, for Korea at this World Cup against Uruguay and spurned a, a, an incredible chance that they perhaps saw his um, uh, his you know minutes limited after that because Cho Gu Sung's come in, scored a couple of goals against Ghana and made that position his own now. But I think Huang Yi Chan is just so important for Korea because he provides a different outlet on the opposite wing to Son Hung Min and um, he takes some of the attacking burden away because as talented as the players that uh, Korea have brought in to, to replace him while he was injured, 
they're not at the level of, of Huang Chan. And we saw when he came on the other night against Portugal, the difference he makes. He's, he's direct, he's quick, and he gives the defence someone else to worry about apart from Son Hung Min, and perhaps that eases some of the burden on Son because with that chance that they scored the other night as Son was streaming forward, we've seen Son in that situation a lot of times this World Cup. Um, and he, he's often tried to take that on himself. Um, perhaps he feels that burden, but now with Wangi Chan out on the pitch, it felt like that he had someone else out there that he had complete trust in. Not to say he doesn't trust his other teammates, but someone he knows is at sort of a, a similar level and someone he trusts. And um, it just took some of that burden away, and he played in the perfect ball for uh, for Korea to win that match. So I think Wangi Chan's crucially important. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts tonight as well. Okay, Paul, and, and taking you back to the other side of the park, um, just about Kim Min-Ye and, and his leadership and um, his defensive qualities, how big is he to the team and, and, and what what do they miss without him? Uh, he's hugely important. I mean, we've seen the form he's in for Napoli this season and even his form in the, the first two games has, has been pretty good, even though it's been hampered by injury. Um, I was at Palo Bento's press conference yesterday. He said it'll be a, a, a game day decision again as to whether Kim Min Jae is, is fit to play. The fact he didn't play in the last game was a bit of a surprise for me, but hopefully that might help him get the recovery that he needs um, given the short turnaround between games to uh, to be able to get out on the park tonight because I think if they miss him, I think there has been um, you know, one criticism of Korea in this tournament so far. Defensively, they've been a little bit lax. Um, we saw it against uh, against Ghana when they they shipped those three goals, and you know Kim Min Jae was even playing in that game, albeit hampered by injury. I think defensively the fullbacks um, have been a little bit suspect, and have been very good going forward, but defensively they've been caught out a few times. So to have the leadership of someone like Kim Min Jae in the middle there, I think is crucially important. And if they don't have him tonight against you know probably the favourite to win the competition, um, it's probably going to make it a really long evening for them. Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast. Everything you need to know ahead of Japan, v Croatia and South Korea against Brazil in the round of 16. Paul, as always, thanks for your time. Pleasure, guys. Cheers. Well, coming up, we preview more on those clashes in the round of 16 here on the Global Game. First up, Japan against Croatia. Then, of course, the Samba Boys. We'll touch on them next. Brazil up against South Korea. That's next on the Global Game. Uh, to the feet of left foot shot oh, and a save. big save from Jordan Pickford. Stuck out a big left hand and ricochets off his wrist. Hand. Robert Lewandowski will step up to take it. Lewandowski stutters up and it's saved by Hugo Lloris. Welcome back to the Global Game on SEN. Those were today's great saves for Schnitz, the best hands in the schnitzel business. Schnitz handcrafted schnitzels. Let's get stuck into the other side of those fixtures that we just discussed there with Paul Williams from the Asian Game podcast. James Dodd and Richard Garcia hosts here this evening. Let's start with Croatia, shall we, Rich? You know, this uh, a team that was World Cup finalists in 2018. They came through as runners-up behind Morocco in their group. They scored four goals in three games at this tournament. Four of those goals came in the same game against Canada. Is this a team you think that's that's maybe just teetered over the edge in terms of, of where they're at as a, as, a, as a force in the World Cup? Look, I think they're definitely flying under the radar at the moment. Um, they're quietly going about their business. Not very convincingly, but they're going about their business. Um, and this should be a good game against Japan, you know, they're, they're, for me, I think they're a, a squad that's in between 
um, generations. They're, they're in the middle of a, a rebuild. They, you know, they've still got, you know, every time you speak about Croatia, you've got to speak about Modric. And at 37 years old, he's still pulling the strings. You know, what's next for them? Um, but, you know, I, I think the fact that they're flying under the radar has probably helped them a little bit. You know, none of the pressure that, that normally comes along with being uh, a Croatian team is really on them at the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think they're they're flying into this game uh, pretty well, and and it's going to be a, a tough game against Japan. With your coach's hat on, then Richard Garcia, how crucial does that midfield three of of Brozovic, Kovacic, and Modric become in a game like this, where you know that Japan, if you base them on the games that they've played so far, like like we said, a team that that plays in short bursts when they've scored goals. They're probably going to look to counter-attack Croatia in this match. How important is it that that midfield three of Croatia are, are able to control this football match? Yeah, it's, it's very, very important. And I think they they will do like they have done in the past. Um, the biggest thing is trying to break down the defence. You know, they, the last two games with, with Japan, or the last three games with Japan, have sort of been sit back, see what happens, soak up the pressure and they've done they did that well against Germany they did that really well against Spain as well um it's it's about breaking breaking that defense down and, and that's not an easy task I, I think you know when you look at someone like Spain who uh really passed the ball well and, and can break down anybody they struggled they struggled in that first half to break down Japan after the goal um and I think that's going to be the biggest task is is how that midfield now now breaks down that defense let's Crack on with the other game, shall we? Brazil against South Korea. Everybody's second team, most people seem to think, when it comes to the World Cup. Brazil, just because of the, the, the star-studded nature of you know years gone by and teams that they've had in the past. Um, I don't think it's any surprise to see Brazil as overwhelming favourites, for, for not just for this game, but in most people's eyes, for the tournament as well. Um, Neymar coming back in provides a really, really interesting conundrum for, for Chiche, the manager. Do you start him in this game, Richard, if, he, if he's past fit? Do you start him knowing it's Neymar and what he can do? Or do you stick with the players, you know, bar the last game against Cameroon, that have got them to the position they're in now? Look, that's a difficult one. Um, for me, I, I think I'd, I'd leave him on the bench and make sure that he's really recovered because, you know, when you're past fit, are you, are you ready to compete again? And that's the biggest thing, you've got to compete. And... Uh, you know, when you're sweating injuries and you've had injuries in the past, so there's a lot of there's a lot of questions over his um, his efforts to play injured players. Um, you know, I know Gabriel Jesus. You know, he's the question over why he he was playing and and whether he was rushed back. That that's a big one. So for him to now rush back Neymar, who provides all that quality, uh, do you take the risk? That's the biggest one. And you know, look, I think they've got an, a, a deep enough squad and a big enough um, pool of talent to be able to get the job done against South Korea. Um, and then if worse comes to worse, they can bring him on in the late stages to, to give that spark. Well, you, you mentioned Gabriel Jesus there and Alex Tellez as well, the the, yep. the, the left back, you know, they're, they're both gone home. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, a massive blow for, for Arsenal's title ambitions. He's, I think he's out for about three months with an knee injury is what they've estimated. But you look at the wealth of attacking options they have. Richarlison, Rodrigo and Vinicius from Real Madrid, Anthony from Manchester United, Gabriel Martinelli at Arsenal, who's been flying form, Rafinha at, uh, at Barcelona. But when you look at that game against Cameroon, making nine changes and losing the game 1-0, they were already through, that's fine. Does that is that a bit of a risk as a coach, Rich, when you make that, knowing that you've completely changed the dynamic of the team, they've suffered a defeat? Does, does that play into this game at all? Uh, it, it definitely does. I, I think, you know, you've got to be a little bit 
less risky in the round of 16. You know, they knew they were already through to the round of 16. So it's a calculated risk. You know, you, you're trying to you're trying to balance up. And like we spoke about before, you're trying to balance up the the, the freshness of the players. You know, how do you how do you get the most out of the whole squad? Because that's why you take 23. You take 23 not to play the same 11 over and over. You, you've got to try and balance that um, that tiredness and the fatigue element can cost you goals. It can not, you know, the, the players might not finish the chance that they should take when they're, when they're fresh. So, you know, I think it was a calculated decision that he made. Um, and now hopefully the players that, that can come back in now are feeling great and are, and are ready to fly again. So um, it's, it's, it's always a difficult one when you're talking about trying to balance out that fatigue with, um, against reward. I think if you look at them, you know, the games that they've had so far in this tournament, what's impressed me, and I'll, I'll get your take on it as well, is that they've had wins over Serbia and Switzerland. The Serbia game, they were made to wait for it. They broke them down eventually. When they did, they, you know, they, they were able to then control the game and go on to get a second. Against Switzerland, they left it late. And it was a you know it was a deflected strike from Casemiro that beat Switzerland one nil, but it, it it strikes me with this Brazilian team that they're a bit different from Brazilian teams year you know in, in years gone by. They've got a bit more resilience about them. They're a bit they're a bit more intelligent in terms of not going too hard to chase a game when they're trying to find that first goal. Do, do you think it's right that they are favourites to to win this tournament? Have you been that impressed with them so far? Yeah, look. I... <laughs> What you said about them being a different Brazil team—that's that's really really true. You know, they, they seem a bit more patient. They seem a bit more. Yeah, resilience probably a good word to, to to put it. But I think that's got to do with players like Casemiro. You know, they're they're a different type of of player, and they that type of influence over the team because they've always been a very very attacking team, and they sort of lose their way, and then they either cop a goal or, you know, but they've been pretty disciplined and uh, been patient. And I think when you when you're a, a high class quality team like them, you're always going to get teams that defend deep and you've got to try to break them down. It's been a pleasure to host the global game tonight. Richard Garcia, thank you very much for your time. I'll be back on tomorrow night with Scott McDonald from 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time coming up tonight on SEN. Our coverage begins with the SEN Football Hub from 1.30am Eastern ahead of Japan against Croatia. It's a 2am kickoff and then Brazil, the Samba Boys against South Korea from 6am Eastern. Thank you very much for your company. We'll catch you tomorrow on the global game.